Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I want to talk about your kiddo's trauma bucket. Now, before I start, I want to say that everybody has a trauma bucket, and I will get into an explanation on that in a little bit. But when we speak of trauma, our minds can automatically wander to events like wars, house fires, car accidents, a death in the family, and fill in the blank. While all of the above are true, what's what about the sweet five-year-old that we are watching fall to pieces in a meltdown in front of us, and we're scratching our heads trying to figure out what is going on? I want to start by talking about, and if that's you, like if you're a parent, maybe you, you adopted you're, or you have a child who has a capital letter syndrome that you're just not quite sure what it is yet, you haven't gotten a diagnosis yet, and you're literally watching your child fall apart and you're like, what is going on? Well, let me talk a little bit about delayed trauma responses before I get in a little bit deeper about the trauma bucket. When my youngest adopted son, and that's important to this story, turned five, anger became his dominant emotion. Let me say, it seemed like sometimes it was his only emotion, and he has given me permission to share this. But I'm sharing this to make a point. Because I was left scratching my head. Here is this little blonde-haired little boy, so sweet. And I'm like, all of a sudden, this kiddo can't regulate. He's falling apart. He's having meltdowns. He can't cope. But I wasn't scratching my head for long because I had already begun to do research on trauma and found out that we often have delayed trauma responses. In his case, the physical issues that he had been dealing with consumed his toddler years and his babyhood. He was born with a hole in his heart. I'm not going to give you the medical term for that. Just you know, you, you don't need to know that really. He had a cleft palate, delayed mobility, and also the hard work of learning how to speak after his second cleft palate repair and more. I won't even list everything. But it, it was as if he came out swinging at five years old saying, this world has not treated me the way I want it to and I am mad. Now we've heard of those same delayed 
trauma responses in veterans who come home from war and all of a sudden the person who left who is sweet and steady is all of a sudden angry. So trauma can cause a delayed response. Enter the trauma bucket. That's what I want to talk about. While my above assessment, what I just talked about with my son, is very super simplified, you may be in the same situation with your child, maybe an older child, maybe a younger child, or one who seemed to be able to regulate, and suddenly they can't. When I was diagnosed with several immune system disorders at once, my doctor introduced the concept of a genetic bucket. He actually drew a graphic of a bucket for me, and he wrote down my immune system disorders and showed me that mine was halfway full. And he said, this is you when you were born. Some people are born with a nearly empty bucket, so the likelihood of them developing immune issues or other diseases are less. Others, like you, are born with a genetic bucket half full, which means it takes less stress or less viruses or less whatever you're dealing with to make it overflow. Now, why am I talking about my health? Just bear with me just for a moment. When we think of genetic buckets, we know we all have them. Some of us are born with a shiny, empty bucket. Some of us a third of the way full. Some of us half full. And others overflowing when we are born. Now, we can be prone to heart disease, diabetes, breast cancer, all of those things we all get tests for. We didn't have any say in our genetic bucket. But thanks to epigenetics, we can alter them. But that's a conversation for a later time. But it does apply to the trauma bucket as well. The truth is, we also have a trauma bucket. So there we are. We're there. When we are born, we don't all have clean, empty, shiny buckets. And I'm going to share a list from the connected child. There are six primary risk factors that characterize children from hard places, or as we say now, with trauma histories. Number one, prenatal stress and harm. Over 80% of children adopted or are in foster care have been exposed to drugs or alcohol prenatally. A woman highly stressed during pregnancy and has had high elevated levels of cortisol. That cortisol crosses the placenta, alters the brain structures, and damages the immune system. This is just one example of prenatal stress. Okay, and then number two is a difficult labor or birth. Three, early medical trauma, hospital stay, surgery, etc., like my son had, or if your child was in the NICU, They were born prematurely like my son was. Or then we have these big T traumas, a house fire, natural disaster, auto accident, death of a parent, or fill in the blank. Number five, neglect, which teaches the belief you don't exist. 
and abuse, which teaches the belief you don't matter. So I just want to point out, since we're talking about when you're born with your trauma bucket, when a child is born with stuff in their trauma bucket, that three of the six primary risk factors occur when the child is in utero, during birth, or shortly thereafter. So if your child was one of these three, prenatal stress and harm, difficult labor or birth, or early medical trauma, that child's trauma bucket isn't empty. Those add up. Add to that, if your child has a capital letter syndrome, whether diagnosed or not, It's a trauma. I have a whole article on that on the website. Having a capital letter syndrome is trauma and three practices. You can help. You can help your child with. I'm kind of not reading that right. Um, So read that if you want to learn more. That's linked in the show notes. Now, now that I've introduced the trauma bucket, let me share all three of the levels. So level one, so if you're looking at a bucket, and I created a graphic for this, it's a bucket, and in the bottom of the bucket, like a third of the way full there, is number one. That's trauma in a capital letter syndrome. So those are already there. And if they've had those prenatal things that I just talked about, or a difficult birth, or medical intervention as an infant, Those three things right there are in the bottom of their bucket already, okay? Or they have a capital letter syndrome, and it hasn't been diagnosed yet. So those are all there, filling that number, that first third of the trauma bucket. They're there already. So it is in this stage that we have to learn how to work on proactive parenting, And low-level triggers in a felt-safe environment can be addressed quickly. If you haven't learned anything about felt safety, I have a whole episode on that for children and one for adults. So find those. I'll link those in the show notes too. So think of the metaphorical bucket that I'm talking about. And everyone has one when they were born, like I was saying. Some of them already have prenatal trauma, exposure to drugs, alcohol, lots of stress means a child is born with trauma in their bucket already. I just want to reiterate that. Then after the child is born, he may have the trauma of living with a capital letter syndrome. Then there's the season of the parents trying to find a diagnosis, figure out how to navigate the therapies, the tests, etc., how to find some tools that work. Meanwhile, the child is viewing life through the lens of their capital letter syndrome. It's like being in a foreign country and not speaking the language. So this child is living his life with a trauma bucket that's already at least a third of the way full or more depending on the severity and the length of trauma or living undiagnosed with a capital letter syndrome. Oh my goodness, I know that's so much. But with this in mind, once you know about your child's trauma, once you've examined it, once you know about the capital letter syndrome, or have an idea of what sorts of trauma you're dealing with, you can begin to use new parenting tools, learn and teach new habits, coping mechanisms, and put systems into place. 
You can work best on co-regulating habits in a felt safe environment. You can change many high-level behaviors to low-level behaviors and decrease the severity and frequency in a felt safe environment, i.e. home. And that's what, when you were in level one there and you were figuring all this stuff out, I'm just going to tell you, parents, because I've been there, done that, and learned from my mistakes, stay at home as much as possible. Stay home until you have that foundation of connection, a schedule, the proper parenting tools for the child, and coping mechanisms in place. This is the time to build on the practices that are working and delete the ones that are not. Now, there are triggers in this level too. There are triggers at every level, but reducing the frequency and severity of triggers at home with your help, parents, then you'll have more peace in your home. This may mean making sense of and peace with your past while you parent. I have an article and a podcast on that too. All the while tracking your child's triggers. So that is all like I'm saying that's level one. Once you are learning about this, once you're getting the diagnosis, once you're stopping and like, why is this five-year-old suddenly angry all the time? And that may mean cutting out some of that activity that you've normally been doing for a season till you can cocoon at home and learn what works for your child and what triggers them, okay? So that they feel safe. So, number two. All right, negative stress, excitatory stress, and sensory sensitivities. So this is the second part of the bucket. When you leave the felt safe environment of your home for activities, church, sports, birthday parties, therapy, school, etc., triggers are tripped more frequently. You may feel as if all the hard work you did at home is null and void, and it's not. It really isn't. Imagine yourself, I'm going to just give you a scenario, a word picture, because I think these really help. Imagine yourself listening to instructions from a boss or let's say a professor and taking furious notes and like nothing is stopping you. You're in the zone. You feel safe. You're loving this information. And it's like when Dr. Jared Brown's on the podcast and I'm taking notes like I'm listening to him and I'm trying to record at the same time. I'm in the zone. All right. So that's the felt safe environment, and you're learning, you're growing. Now, imagine you are doing exactly the same thing, but now the professor is standing in the middle of a crowded park. Dogs are barking, music is blaring, there are fireworks going off, and you can't focus. You can't hear. You don't know what to write down. You begin to shut down and say, forget it. I have no idea what he's saying. So this is a very loose description. I'm trying to give you a word picture of what your child may be feeling when you leave the felt safety of your home for an event, whether it's something fun, like a birthday party, or something necessary, like a therapy appointment. 
So when you take your child out of that felt safe environment into the unknown, behaviors escalate as the child can't regulate. No new habits or skills can be learned in this state of fight, flight, freeze, and we learned with Amber Stewart, fawn. This is survival mode. However, don't lose hope. If you have a good foundation of connection that you have learned in stage one of the trauma bucket, and you have some coping mechanisms in place, you can co-regulate for your child, even in public. I'm not saying 100% all the time because I have some parents ask me like, well, I tried to co-regulate and it didn't work. Well, sometimes it doesn't. Just like when we are in meltdown mode, sometimes we can't calm ourselves down. We have to remove ourselves from the environment. We have to stop and get a snack or a Starbucks. You know, as adults, we have ways of navigating a child, even if you are used to co-regulating for them, sometimes you'll be able to, and sometimes you won't, but you just keep building on that. It's called investment parenting. So let me move on to number three before I run out of time. Number three is like a life change, a major change in schedule or novel That means new, like new situations. This is where behaviors can escalate and it feels as if nothing is working. Then you have regression. You may feel as if you are back to the beginning, like in a game of Monopoly. Do not collect $200, which is the rewards of all the hard work you have put in. And you have to go back to the starting point. It's really not true. It just feels that way. For example, if you have to move out of town to another town or another state, new school, new everything, all of a sudden your child is triggered, you're triggered, and it feels as if you're starting all over again and you're back at ground zero. Really, you're not. All of that foundation that you built is still in there. Like I said, this is simply called a regression Remember, there are always cycles when new things and new life changes happen, and there's going to be regression. That means you're feeling like you're going all the way back to the beginning, and you don't. You feel like you don't have any tools in your tool belt to help you. It's just not true. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think this is extremely important because it's at this point that many times we parents are like, I just give up. I mean, I put all those years of hard work in, and then all of a sudden we're back to the beginning. What is going on? Everything, all of that foundation, all of those habits and those coping mechanisms that you helped your child learn are still there. And the truth is we go through these cycles over and over again as adults. You know, think about yourself where maybe you've been, I'll just use working out, like you've been working out regularly you've been lifting weights and you see some change in your body and maybe you get the flu and you just don't get back to it for two weeks and they're like, oh my gosh, I lost everything. You really didn't. You really didn't. And you know that once you get back to it, you're going to quickly get back to where you were before. 
And I know that's a super simplified example for something that is much more serious with our kiddos. We want them to feel safe. We want them to feel like they can cope. We want them to feel like this world is a friendly place to be for them. So if that's you and you've had a major change, or maybe they just joined a new class, a new school, a new something, that's a novel situation, and all of a sudden they're regressing back to some old habits, some old ways of doing things, and the severity and the frequency of their meltdowns has increased. All right, so I just want you to remember that Like I said, I keep repeating myself. It's not all for nothing. Okay? All right. Let's see. It's important for parents to keep the mindset that I do have parenting tools and I'm going to pivot a little bit while the meltdowns might be a little bit more frequent and maybe more severe like they were in the beginning. But you, parents, you know what to do. And you're going to start trying different tools until they work. And you just remember that this isn't going to last forever. This is going to change and go back. And you might see this regression, then all of a sudden this giant leap forward. And then a leap backwards and a leap forward and a leap backwards. It's not linear. You know, I think about the holidays During the holiday season, when you have like a couple weeks off from your regular schedule, which I always say, you know, try to keep your regular schedule as much as possible, and you see those regressions and you're like, oh my gosh, everything's falling apart. Well, it's just because there's been a big change and it's a season and things will settle down again. And And you know that after the holidays, it's going to take a while for your kids to acclimate to their school schedule again, their sports schedule again, and all of those sorts of things. So don't give up hope. Just remember that if there's a regression, there can also be a progression after that. Just be patient Give your child grace, give yourself grace, and provide that felt safety as much as possible. And this might be another season where you're going to have to pull back from outside responsibilities for a while. And I know parenting kids with trauma histories and capital letter syndrome, it's like it's all consuming. It's your full-time job. And you may see other parents, you know, just breezing through and think, Oh my gosh, I wish I was like that. Or, you know, comparing yourself. Don't compare yourself. Do what your children need. Because I know one of the things that I struggled with when other parents were telling me, well, we're joining this club and we're going to do horseback riding. We're going to do this and we're going to... And all of a sudden I felt like I needed my kids to do all of those things. So I would sign up for one of them and go to one of them and it just would... Everything would just fall apart. Now, sometimes I would push through and it turned out to be something the kid really wanted to do. He just needed an adjustment period. But other times it was just like, nope, that's not for us. And as a parent, you have permission. You have permission to make those decisions for your children. 
You don't have to do everything that everyone else is doing. Now, this is just kind of the skeletal version of the trauma bucket for your kiddo. I'm going to be releasing another podcast on this, and I've been working on a PDF, like a workbook, with a page for tracking your child's triggers and with a page for, you know, filling out for yourself personally, not for anyone else, the trauma that you know that your child has been through so that you can refer to that and say, oh, yeah, their trauma bucket wasn't empty when they were born. And like I said, this is for you. This is for you and your spouse and your family. You don't have to share it with anybody. This is so that you can parent your child the way that they need to be parented and you know the things about them that are going to help you co-regulate for them to make them feel safe. And when you get that diagnosis for the capital letter syndrome that you learn all of that, all you can about that, but then you start saying, well, this is my child, but this one, this tool doesn't work. This tool doesn't work. And I have a set of what I call instead of tips. They're tips to use instead of traditional parenting. And I always, I say, even on the PDF for those, like, you try the ones, you try them all. Not all at the same time. Never try them all at the same time. You try one at a time. And if at least for a month or two. And if one's not working, some, some you know within a couple weeks. But you can't just try something once and say it doesn't work. Let me say that. But if you try one of the parenting tips and you're just like, it doesn't work. Like, I'll just give you an example. One of them is, you know, you need to give your child choices because that's an important skill they need to have for the rest of their life. And sometimes with kiddos with trauma histories and they feel the need to be in control, giving them choices helps them feel more in control and feel safe. And those choices can be as simple as, do you want oatmeal or French toast for breakfast? Those kinds of choices. I'm not talking about life-altering choices. Or do you want to wear the pink skirt or your blue jeans today? You know, those sorts of choices. But then I've also talked to parents who just say, you know, my kid, they can't handle choices. It makes them melt down. So you decide. You figure out what works for your kiddo. You know what's in their trauma bucket. I'm, you know, I here I am recording this podcast and tell, telling you what I have learned, but I don't know your child. You know your child. You know your child better than the teachers. You know that your child better than the therapist, better than anyone. So you keeping track of their trauma bucket and what's going to make them overflow. So I'm going to finish up really quick, but number four in the trauma bucket is overflowing. And when you get to that overflow where it's just constant, constant meltdown, it can be violence, suicidal, complete shutdown. And at that point, you need professional help. You know, I don't recommend trying to yourself restrain a violent child who possibly has a weapon, a knife. Um, Speaking from personal experience here, um, you need help. And if you have a teen who's gotten violent and you've tried 
You want to help them. You don't want them to go down the road that they're going down. But at the same time, if you need that intervention, 10 years from now, it's going to matter that you help them in the way that they needed help at, that, at this moment in time. And I honestly am adding this and emphatically adding this. If you have to call the police, you call the police. And I hate to say that, but at the same time, I wish that somebody would have said that to me earlier in my parenting journey when I was struggling and trying to help my kiddo so much to the point where I thought I could handle it and I couldn't. So at that overflow portion, when it's overflowing and you've got violence and you've got threats and you've got complete shutdown, you've got a child who is suicidal, then no, you don't go it alone. I hate to finish on such a negative note, but I think that's so important. So thanks for joining me for this episode on your child's trauma bucket. And there will be another podcast about this where I'll get into it a little bit more. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.